to try that again for me. Good morning. Am I on? Sometimes I forget to turn that thing on. I apologize for that. I hope everybody had a good week last week. And if you didn't, you get to start another one today. And you started it in the right place. Uh, so let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we do love you. And we thank you so much for Sundays. Uh, God, we just want to praise your name. We want to worship you. We want to glorify Christ Jesus in all that we say and do here today. Uh, Lord, we ask as... Uh, people completely and totally dependent upon you. We ask for uh, a filling of your spirit. We ask for your favor. We ask for your guidance. And God, we just ask that you would get glory from us. Help us to be the church that you have called us to be. We pray, Lord, for your blessings upon us in uh, song and prayer and in the preaching and teaching of your word. We ask this all in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Um, a couple of uh, quick announcements that I'll make here. First, if I didn't say so already, welcome to Hamer Creek Baptist Church this morning. And um, we will be continuing our study in 1 John, and um, I'm excited about that. hope you're looking forward to it as well. Um, I, will, I, I see these bottles up here, and I want to thank you all for uh, uh, supporting the Women's Center in, in this fundraiser. I think we're about wrapping up. I think that today might be the last day, and so thank you all for that. By the way, speaking of thank yous, I've got a card here I need to read. Um, this is a thank you card um, that says, uh, it's a perfect time to thank you for the nice things that you do and a perfect time to let you know uh, your thought the world of too. It says, we'll never forget the love that you showed to us. Um, it's signed by, well, let me read the, I guess the note starts over here and they ran out of room. Uh, we just want to thank you for the wonderful thing that you did for us. It was an answer to prayer, a special thanks to each man that gave their time to come and put up the ramp. We love you all, and we'll never forget the love that you showed to us, Norma and Sonny. So um, that was a wonderful thing, and <clears throat> we actually had a request for another ramp, but I don't know what happened to that. Um, I never heard back, uh, by the way, whoever sent me that. Um, I did reach out to them and to try and get some information, but let me, let me move down through these announcements. We will have our men's breakfast. We're going to have it here in town again. I know that sometimes we've been bouncing them around. Um, I've got a feeling that Burger Shack at 8 a.m. will kind of be the one we always keep coming back to. It's the closest, makes the most sense. Um, so make time for that. It's a wonderful time of fellowship. And uh, we, 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 probably, we don't have anything planned for afterwards, just a time to get together, fellowship. We say a quick prayer together. And um, anyway, all the men are welcome to come out to that. Also, the um, Creation Museum in Ark Encounter uh, trip is is upon us. Um, it, it's time just keeps ticking, doesn't it? Um, speaking of which, uh, me and Betty Sue were talking, and it'll be Easter before we know it. And Easter comes early this year. I don't know if you guys have looked at the calendar, but um, that's an exciting thing. But this uh, cre creation museum and art trip, we, we're gonna have to start collecting money by March first. Um, if you have questions, you can ask Karen, uh, my wife, or Miss Jeannie. Um, by the way, I think we had some folks that it, 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 did, it did turn out to be a bit more expensive than um, some people expected. Um, I think in the grand scheme of things, for what it is, it's, it's probably not unreasonable. We have to remind ourselves everything has gotten more expensive. But there have been some people, and I don't know who they were, that offered scholarships. And um, we didn't make anybody sign anything or promise to give any certain amount of money or anything like that. But if you are willing to do that, um, if you are one of those that agreed to do so, um, I would ask that maybe you think about 
uh, contributing before this date and just mark it on an envelope if that is something that you would like to do uh, for the young people in this church. Um, and with that, I'll move to prayer requests. Are there any, any other announcements that need to be made? All right, well, let's, uh, let's look at some, some of the prayer needs that we have. Of course, do pray for our country, um, the things that the American people uh, deal with. Um, I want to mention uh, some that have come. I, can't, I cannot possibly mention every name that's on here, but let me just say this. The list of bereaved families, I have two families that I would like to add. Um, one of them is the Eric Sturdivant family. Um, I guess I met Eric... Uh, last spring, um, but, but, but anyway, he, uh, this is somebody that Adam Bowles goes to church with, and he passed away suddenly due to a car accident, and so this was um, very unexpected, and I just want to ask that you pray for his family. Also, um, Cynthia Scott, um, that I think we were, I think Chris told us she was committed to hospice. She told us that on Wednesday. The, Cynthia Scott did pass away, and so remember that family as well as they go through a time of grieving. And I cannot remember uh, her name, but I do know that um, Calvin Gaddy's sister passed away. Do you know her name, Miss Car Carol? I don't know her last name. Um, but anyway, Calvin Gaddy's sister passed. So just pray for that family as well. I know many of you know uh, Calvin. Um, continue to pray for Dockery Bird. Uh, we have some folks that have surgeries coming up. Miss um, Margaret will be having a knee replacement. Um, Kenneth has a surgery coming up for the uh, cancer that he has. Um, I want to ask that you continue to remember Linda Portal. This is Jeannie's friend that she mentioned. And there are, there are many that um, I have heard of, not, not just from within our family of faith here, friends of ours, but I just keep hearing about people getting cancer. And uh, some that I work with, uh, some in my family. And so do uh, just continue to pray for each other. By the way... Uh, Sometimes I look at everything that's going on. I had one of these days yesterday, and it just got real heavy. There's some things that we cannot carry, and that's why we are supposed to be a people that prays and constantly trusts the Lord and gives these things to the Lord. And um, preachers need to be reminded of that, but, but so does everybody else. And uh, we also, I, I don't know if everybody else is like this, but sometimes when things get real heavy and things look tough and you... It's then that you start really seeing the blessings that you have, too. Now, I don't know why that is. That seems backwards, but I know I'm that way. And uh, it tear me up thinking about it. We need to be a people that counts our blessings. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's wrong, but there's a lot of stuff that's right, a lot of things that we can be thankful for, a lot of answered prayers. Um, matter of fact, Daniel shared one with me where uh, he was... I'll just say it this way. He had a thing with his vehicle, and God worked everything out perfectly um, so that it was a painless situation. And when things pop up in our lives, I think we get stuck with what's right in front of us because we can't see way down the road, but God can. And so when something happens, I just want to remind you to praise his name. When he answers a prayer, make sure that the next time you pray, God, thank you for answering prayers because we're, we're like little kids. We're kind of ungrateful at times. And uh, God's awesome and He's all-powerful, and so we need to be a people with thankful hearts. And uh, God's been doing good things. Uh, I don't know if you know, but Cody Haywood got to preach to some students. And uh, if there's kids that need to hear the gospel, that need to hear Christ-centered messages, um, it's the youth. It's the youth of America today. And so I'm glad that, uh, according to God's sovereignty, he has, he has set that up to, well, to be something that one of our people are doing. And I'm very thankful for His service in that.
Uh, continue to remember uh, uh, Larry Scarborough, Carolyn Terry. Uh, Miss Rosa mentioned the elderly. Um, and that's something that has, well, it's been on my heart all week. And so we have a list of folks that, that basically stay on here. Um, and uh, many of them are elderly, and they have ongoing ailments, things that make life difficult. Um, pray for them. It's hard to be. Many of them are very lonely. And so if you get the opportunity, go visit them. Call somebody. Tell them you love them. Um, and let me say something else. I, I went and saw David Gardner yesterday. He's one of those, and he has gotten quite frail in recent years. And uh, he wants to come to church. He cannot come to church. But he told me with tears that he wanted to come down here. And so someday that might be you. And uh, it has crossed my mind that we are in this generation I'm preaching Let's go to the Lord in the word of prayer, uh, and let's remember these, all right? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we want to come to you now with heavy hearts, and so, so often we are burdened by the things that happen in this world, things that have to do with health, uh, Lord, things that have to do with finances, and God, forgive us, sometimes we borrow trouble that it is even ours. It's anxiety, things that we dream up, darkness that we think might lie ahead, and God, forgive us for when we do that. Help us, Lord, to have spirits that rest in you. Help us to be a people that are completely full of faith. Lord, help us to realize that we're supposed to be thankful in all things, even tough things, difficult things, knowing that you're, you're doing a great work, that you're doing awesome things, and that you're drawing us near each and every day. Lord, we do come to you as obedient Christians, doing what you've called us to do. Uh, Lord, we unload our burdens at the very throne of grace, and we ask, Lord, that as we cast our cares on you, that for all of these you minister. Uh, Lord, that whether it be medical issues, whether it be emotional, uh, relational, whatever it happens to be, God, we ask that you take these things into your sovereign hands and you do with them what you will, that you might get glory, that you might make Christ famous. And God, in all these things, we pray that you would increase our faith. Lord, that you would help us to be exactly what you have called your New Testament church to be. And Lord, just help us to have the rest that we are to have in you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. We'll be singing page 491. All over.
for everybody to find their seat here. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like seeing all the fellowship, and uh, I, I didn't do it much today. I said hey to the choir, but sorry I didn't get to the rest of you. Um, we're going to continue our study in 1 John, and it does not have a very exciting title, but there are some wonderful doctrines in these few verses that we're going to study. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 18 through 21. I think I wrote 18 through 20. We're going to grab 21 as well. And in fact, we may read these same verses next week as we cover a bit more material and talk about some of the false teachings of, well, those that have the spirit of Antichrist, if I can put it that way. Before we get into this passage, I want to remind you that John is dealing with something most important. And he is writing to uh, the churches and he is writing to them in the context of an influx of false teachers and of false teachings that they are spreading. These uh, are the very doctrines of devils, as they are called, in another place in the Scriptures. They are the things that can lead people astray. And uh, 
John is going to deal with uh, who exactly is led astray and how they are led astray. But today we want to identify um, a couple of well, a couple of things that he finds that he lists as important. One being that it is the last hour, and so we'll talk about what that means or what it means that there are many antichrists. In fact, I think. Every Christian, in fact, most people that are not Christian know the phrase Antichrist, and they generally know it in reference to, well, this end times individual, the Antichrist, and I believe that he is only called by that name in this epistle. And uh, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on him, but I want you to realize um, that it really has to do with the spirit that empowers him, the very spirit of Satan himself, and that there are many of those among us. And then lastly, we are going to focus on the fact that all of God's children, those that truly are his, having a firm faith in the work of Christ at Calvary, cannot be led away. They cannot be led astray, and they will not fall away. Um, John has given us some tests uh, as Christians, as a New Testament church, on how to know that if you are truly in the family of God, if you are truly the church, the redeemed. And there was, we saw the fellowship test that uh, those that are His have fellowship with God if you walk in the light. Uh, we saw that there was an obedience test that if you obey His commandments. And then there was the test that, uh, well, Christians love the brethren. And the Bible says that we cannot say that we love God and that we hate the brethren, the others that are redeemed. And uh, then last week we talked about the rejection of the evil world system. And so that is a Christian characteristic. That is a test that the Christian should pass. And by the way, we will talk about more tests. And my job here is, it should be, if you are firm in the faith, not to cause you to doubt your salvation, but it should make you all the more sure in it. And if anything that we have read or that we do read cramps your style or makes you say, well, I don't fit in there, then that is room for you to repent and to believe. And so what I would like you to do now is stand for the reading of God's Word as we begin our study, 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. He begins with his same affectionate title. He says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all, excuse me, that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because there is no lie of the truth." This is God's Word. You may be seated. And so the first thing that I want to jump into is this, uh, this statement that we see twice here. It is the last hour. He says, children, it is the last hour. And then again, um, he says, because the Antichrist, the many Antichrists have come, we know that it is the last hour. So this is an expectation that John had of the New Testament church way back then. So if it was the last hour then, what is it now? And so this is something that has caused many people uh, in our day and age some confusion, but it shouldn't. It is something that has caused the, not, the unbelievers to mock the church. Or they always think that Jesus is coming back and he's not 
coming back yet. Well, the Bible speaks of this. And so let me just say that when it says it's the last hour, how are we to understand that? Quite clearly, you know, it doesn't mean the last 60 minutes. This is a, a, a figurative use of the word hour. And let me just say that it refers to, I really don't know how to put it, the last epoch of men. The last, well, here, let me use a word that's controversial. The last dispensation. Um, now, if I can just put it this way, Man, I don't want to get into the covenant versus dispensation. Uh, let, let me just say this, that God has continued to reveal himself throughout history until the last dispensation, which I'm going to call the last hour, where we have the fullness of his revelation, namely in the man, Christ Jesus. My Bible says that in him is the invisible God. That if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, how long have you been with me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so the fullness of his revelation comes in Christ Jesus and in the completion of the canon of the Holy Scriptures. And we have that and we have had that. And that is, let me say it this way, there will be no new revelation. This age is what it is. And many people call it, the age of grace or the church age, things like that. And I don't want to get too bound up in dispensationalism per se. I think it has some very valid points. I also think that God has revealed himself through covenant and that it can be understood that way. And so I, I just want to say it this way. In fact, I'll use the Lord of the Rings type language. This is the end of the age of men. It is coming to an end. You remember last week we read uh, that the world is passing away and all that is in it is passing away. And so, figuratively speaking, there is an hourglass in heaven. And at the dawn of time, it was flipped over. And since then, the sand has been running out of that thing. And I want you to know that it is God's hourglass and that there is nothing that man can do to put sand back in the top of that thing. It is dribbling out. And I, 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 th I think about this. You know, most of the time when we talk about an hourglass, we're talking about a minute glass or a two-minute comes with a board game or something. When I was a kid, my grandfather had an hourglass. And it was a big hourglass with uh, four wooden columns and a wooden frame, and it had pink sand in it. And it was, I timed it. It took me several tries because you have to be there when it ends to know. But it was an hourglass, and it was perfect. You flip that thing over, and you begin watching the pink sand run through that thing. And you know what? It was slow. It was dragging on. And you look at that thing and say, man, that'll take forever. And you couldn't sit there and watch it. But I want you to know something. When it got down to the end, and the bottom or the top of that just had sand in the very bottom of the bulb, I know that that sand was going through at the same speed, but it seemed like it had sped up. It seemed like it would run out any second, and it would hang on, and then shoo. Now look, such an hourglass, and again, I'm speaking figuratively, exists in heaven. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you, John said it was the last hour then, and so the world is going to end next week. I don't know when it will end. What I know is that it's running out. I know that we're closer today than we were yesterday. And there have been times in my life where I have thought, God, what are you waiting on? I'm not a date setter. I'm not going to tell you when the Lord Jesus is coming back. In fact, let me remind you what Jesus himself said. He said concerning that day and that hour, no one knows. 
Now look, let me help you a little bit. Next time somebody makes a TikTok that says that the Lord's coming back on such and such a day, go back to this verse and say, but concerning that day and hour, says Jesus, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. Now you ready for the shocking part? Nor the Son, but the Father only. So look, this hourglass, as it were, is God's hourglass. And eventually the sand is going to run out. And when it does, the Father is going to look at the Son and He's going to say, it's time. Now go get my church. Go fetch the bride. It is the last hour because there will be no new revelation. It is the last hour because the other apostles, they said that in the last days that there would be many false teachers and that they would lead many astray. And John here is saying that's how we know it's the last hour because there are so many. You think there are many in our day? I hope that you realize that there are. Now look, I recognize that it has been a very long last hour. In fact, it seems in our own lifetime, in our own generation, that this last hour has drug on. But it should not surprise us, and I want to remind you that we have a picture of this in the Old Testament, that judgment is coming, that the world is going to be judged by a global flood. By the way, I believe that in a global flood, I hope that you do too, in a world full of people that deny such things, my Bible says that the world was flooded. and another, another, another story for another time. I hope you believe what the Bible says word for word. And you know what? In the day and age when that global flood was coming and Noah was a preacher of righteousness, God did something that shows His grace. He had Methuselah on, earth, on the earth. And He let Methuselah live and live and live. But when Methuselah died... Judgment came. And guess who's the longest lived person in all of human history? It is Methuselah. And so today when we look at the world and we say, what is God waiting on? In fact, I said this to one of our church members a few months ago. And she said to me, he's got at least one more he's going to save. God's got at least one more that he's going to pull into the fold of the church. And that's indeed true. I want to remind you, in 2 Peter, Peter deals with the idea of the mockers that say, oh, Jesus isn't coming back. They've been saying that. Now look, if they said this in Peter's day, it was true in Peter's day, it's much more true in our day. And Peter says this, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Now listen how he puts it. That one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So what he's saying is, we don't, we cannot understand time the way that God does. In fact, the Bible tells us that. Our life is like a vapor. It's like the flower of the field that withers and passes away. And then he goes on to say this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He didn't forget. He didn't fail to keep his promise, that is, that he would return He's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then he tells us how this will happen. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So can I tell you what Peter's saying? Peter's speaking to the church here. Well, he's saying what that church lady said. He said he's, he's long-suffering to us. For, keep in mind, P 
Peter recognizes, he wrote this to the elect, it says. To those that were called according to the foreknowledge of God. That's Peter's word. And he said, there's still some of them out there and God's waiting until he ushers them into the fold. But when the time is right, this world is reserved unto judgment. He's not slack. He's not late. It is perfectly timed. This is not, we're not even in plan B. There is no plan B. There's no C, D, E either. It is exactly as he has planned it. And guess what? This is the last hour. And it is long to show the very grace and long suffering of the Almighty. So let me just say this. Well, what do you do with this information? By the way, some preachers get hung up on last hour preaching. That's all they ever preach. Uh, other preachers, in fact, maybe most of them, never preach it. Can I tell you this? Live like it. Live like it's the last hour because you have been given another day that you can live for God. In fact, a church member told me this past week, we were talking about lineage. and You know, some families, they just seem like they've got it in their blood. It's in their genetics. They're very long-lived. And in other families, don't live that long. And that's just the way it is. And uh, this church member was talking about one side being long-lived, another short-lived. He said, I've got more that side in my blood. He said, I'm already living on borrowed time now. Can I tell you something? That stuck with me. I thought about it over and over. We all are. We are all living on borrowed time. And I, I'll make a confession here. I don't live like it. And you don't either. You can confess that to yourself. I don't need to hear it. But I'm going to... If you knew this is my last day, would you live it different? See, I would, and I'm going to admit that. I think if you get real serious and you get real quiet all by yourself and you say, if this was the last day that I had to live, would I still do such and such? You know, I'm reminded of uh, what one old Baptist preacher said. He was talking about a man in his congregation that was in his last days and he was on his way to death, to his appointment with the Lord, and he had asked him if he was scared to die, and the man said, I'm not afraid to die, but I'm ashamed to die because I haven't lived for Christ like I should have lived for Christ. Many of you, you well, some of you might know Casey Bradford. He's a preacher up in High Point. He shared a story one time, and he told about a man, and I don't remember what happened to the man, but he had suffered some sort of affliction, and it had taken much of uh, his abilities, and he was a church man, and he loved the Lord. And Only after he was in a situation where he could barely come to church, and he could barely talk, and he could barely do, he, Casey said he was preaching one day, and he kept saying something, and he kept saying something, and he went down there, and he said, what are you saying? And that the man was saying, use me, use me. And here he had come to a place in his life after having lost most all that he had, realizing he wanted to be used of God. Can I tell you something, church? Get that way today. Use me. God, let your will be done through me. Now look, God, let me hurt some feelings here. He doesn't need you, but he can use you. Be like Isaiah. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Live like it's the last hour. Remember the teachings. Jesus, in Matthew 25, he speaks on this over and over. Be ready. The, this idea of God coming like a thief in the night means you don't see it coming. 
It will be as it was in the days of Noah. People will be carrying on. They'll be marrying, giving in marriage, and they'll just be carrying on like it's a normal. And here he comes. Now look, there's parable after parable where Jesus says, be ready. Be ready. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to the church. Be ready. So live today like it could be your last. Seize the opportunities that come before you. It's not work salvation. I'm not telling you you'll be saved because of what you do. But you can go to death knowing that you serve the everlasting king. Now look, John makes the point here that many antichrists have come. And I, he ties this to the last hour. Uh, Paul mentions this, that in the last day there will be many of these false teachers... And let me just say this, he's not talking about the Antichrist. Now we know that the Antichrist is the last, the great uh, spirit that is against Christ, that is a false Christ. In fact, I believe that he himself will set himself up to be worshipped based on the teachings of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and Revelation and many others. And I believe that he will, it's not just some people have this idea that he'll be anti-Christian. Well, he will be but he will stand in the place of Christ as one. Christ is the only one worthy of your worship. And he will stand in that place. He is the man of perdition. He is the one, it says in this passage, who is coming. But now there has come many antichrists. And so this speaks not of the man of lawlessness, uh, but rather of all the false teachers that would lead others away. By the way, did you notice where it said that they came out of? Came out of the church. Now, you might be thinking, well, how is that? And John deals with that by saying they're not really part of the church. In fact, these, I hope that you will recognize, they are the tares that grow among the wheat. And uh, let me read it. He says, therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And now he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Very interesting. Let me just say this. The idea of Antichrist is not the idea of atheism. Because anti in fact, you want to know where you can find the spirit of Antichrist right now? In pulpits all across America. In fact, I, I think it was David Jeremiah that said the favorite hiding place of the devil is in religion. He will lead many astray with damnable heresies. Those that lead others. In fact, Jesus talked to uh, the Pharisees and the scribes this way. He said, woe unto you for you cross the ocean to make one proselyte. And when you do, you make him twice the son of hell that you are. And so these that teach false teachings, anything other than salvation is by faith alone, that salvation is by grace alone, that the knowledge of such comes through the scriptures alone, by Christ alone and to the glory of God alone. It is false if it is anything else. And it is the church that must stand up for the great biblical doctrines that have been handed down from the apostles. But there are many antichrists and many of them are in pulpits today. So if they came out of the church, where did they go to? They started new churches. Let me put that in quotes. New churches, new gatherings, new denominations, new ideas. I want to be clear, the devil is a pastor. And the devil's best helpers are pastors. And they're in pulpits. And if that doesn't scare you, let let me drive the point home. If I look back in verse uh, 
18, at the end of it, it says, a few antichrists have come. It doesn't say that, does it? It says, many antichrists have come. You know, I think when I was growing up in a rural community, much like the one that we live in now here, I thought that Christians were winning. <laughs> I felt like that we were the dominant force where I grew up. We're few. The Bible has always said that. It said that broad, it says that broad is the gate that leads unto destruction, and that narrow is the gate that leads to salvation, and few there be that find it. Do you know what that means about righteous teachers that teach the word exactly as God has given it to us? They are few, but false teachers are many. Now that should put you back on your toes a little bit, Christian. We're narrowgate people, not broadgate people. Let me just tell you, the false teachers, my Bible describes them as wolves, ravening wolves. But it says that they are in disguise. They're in sheep's clothing. You know what that means? They look like us. They dress like us. They talk like us. They use Christianese. They use a lot of the same vocabulary. And they lead people astray. That means that many of them... They have degrees that say that they're a pastor. They use all the right language. They pray. They even use the very name of Jesus Christ himself while leading others astray. Wolves in sheep's clothing. They are, if I can put it this way, wonderfully deceptive. Wonderfully deceptive. Now, that's not a compliment. I just want you to realize how good these people are. At. They're far better speakers than I ever, ever could be. They have a charisma that people just love to listen to them. Nobody falls asleep in their sermons. But in all seriousness, they are frauds. And guess what? People don't know them. They know their facade. They know their mask, the front that they put up. And I want you to know that they are liars just like their father, the devil, who is the father of all lies. And they are murderers just like the devil because they lead people to the second death. They can talk. They can influence, they can inspire, but they preach a different gospel. They preach a different Jesus. And they lead people astray. And we're going to talk in depth about what they teach next week. Excuse me. But I mentioned that they start new churches with new doctrines. They abandon the faith as it was delivered once and for all. And so what do we do if we know that there are many antichrists... Well, first of all, you need to realize that you're in a world at war. That there is false information that is being spread. This shouldn't be any surprise to people that are subject to the modern American media. <laughs> but there is false information everywhere. And the devil's oldest trick was to make people believe a lie. And the trick that he uses today is to make people believe a lie. So recognize that you are surrounded by false teaching. And be able to recognize it. You know, uh, there's an example that's sometimes used. How do you know if it's false teaching? Can you learn all false religions so that you can launch a defense? You don't have to learn the false if you know the true. And those that are experts in counterfeiting of dollar bills or checks or whatever it may be, the way that they become experts is not by learning that which is the fraud. It is by learning the authentic. 
And when you know the real thing from Genesis to Revelation, when you know the doctrines as given to the apostles and given to us and handed down through a true church history, be very careful. Everything that calls itself a church is not the church. If you know it, then you can, you can obey Jesus. And let me tell you what Jesus said. He said, do not be deceived. You know, Jesus expects you. You've got everything that you need to not be deceived. You've got it. It's right here. Now, look, you can go get a degree if you want to. Uh, you can go get a formal education in theology if you want to. And I'm not against that, by the way. But you've got everything you need right here to arm you for the false teachers that deceive many. And by the way, let me say something. Run from it. Run from it. The Bible makes it clear that they are so compelling and they say things that tickle the ears of the listeners. You want to hear their message because they, well, they, they speak to your human heart. And remember what your human heart is. It is deceitful and wicked, and the Bible says, who can know it? The Bible also tells us, well, let, me, let me just put it this way, don't trust everybody. Don't trust everybody that says, oh, I'm a preacher. In fact, the more, the more they claim, the less you should trust them. When somebody comes out, I'm Reverend Bishop Apostle, run. That is an argument from authority. You want to know what authority real preachers stand on? Thus saith the Lord God. That's all that they need. They need no titles. They need no accolades. They need God's word. Because the thing that makes us Christian is the gospel. And the gospel is God's word. The thing that we need to obey is God's word. Run from the false teachers. Test the spirits. And by the way, there are some people that you have been fooled into thinking, you're something over here. The classic example is the, the high school jock. Well, I'm an athlete, so I'm not an academic. Why? Who told you that you can't have a strong back or strong biceps or whatever and a strong mind? Don't fall for that. And don't you sit here and say, well, I don't understand that preacher. I'm just a simple country boy. My Bible says, let me rephrase that, Jesus said that you're to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The modern American Christian needs to remember to love the Lord thy God with their mind. How do you do that? Don't be ignorant. Know what he has said to us. Cherish his teachings. Now look, speaking of knowledge, let me remind you, he says that the church perseveres until the end. In fact, he says they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. In other words, they're not really part of the true church. They can join a church, they can sign the membership roles, they can do all the things that the people in church do, but they're not of the church because they have not persevered unto the end. Now look, John says something. If I said Paul sometime a minute ago, I didn't mean to. We're in John. John says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. And so here we have, you will persevere and we have two reasons why. And he says, the Christian... The true Christian, the one that really has a saving faith, they will persevere unto the end. In other words, they're not going to quit church when they're 30, 40, 50, when hard times come along, when somebody walks out on them, when things get tough. They're not going to quit on Jesus because they really belong to Jesus. The ones that quit on Jesus are not of Jesus. They're of a different fold. Now, the things that he points out, 
You've been anointed by the Holy One. Let me just tell you what that means. Lest, <laughs> lest some of you have been taught another doctrine from another denomination, all right? It means that you're truly saved because those that are saved have the very indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So what it doesn't mean is that you can get saved one day and then five years down the road you have some sort of mystical encounter and you're baptized with a second baptism. Don't buy that. Don't buy that. When you are saved, if truly saved, by the way, let me tell you what that looks like. It is a change of heart. A sinner cannot repent of their sins because they love their sins. So if you have, if you experience repentance, and by the way, my Bible says that we are to be gentle with all men, peradventure God might grant them repentance. So where does repentance come from? God grants it. And so the moment of true belief when God regenerates one, the Bible says that you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And so when one is born again, their eyes, you know, Jesus, he... He gave sight to the blind. Their eyes are opened. Their spiritual eyes open that they can see the truth of the gospel, the truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and put all of their faith in Him. And when that happens, they will repent. They will turn away from their sins, and they will follow after Him, and they have fellowship with the Father and the Son in that moment. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He also says, not only do they have the anointing of the Holy One, but that they have all knowledge. Now, I have just gave y'all no out for saying I'm a country boy. I don't know that. Nobody knows everything. So when it says all knowledge here, how are we to interpret that? You know, some preachers, they, they get on their all means all. This right here ought to trip all them all, all, all means all guys up. Because obviously, I don't know everything. In fact, the Bible does not speak exhaustively on all subjects. In fact we got some people have knee surgery coming up. There is no first and second surgeries in my Bible. That is knowledge, and it's good knowledge if you need a knee. But this is talking very specifically about all knowledge of salvation. That's what we're talking about here, the ones that He gives eternal life to. And so the church has all knowledge of salvation. Do you know what that knowledge is? It is that salvation is not of works, because if it was, men would boast, they'd be prideful. It is that it is of Christ alone that it comes not by works, but by grace through faith. And so this knowledge, by the way, doesn't mean that you can't uh, enjoy every little minute doctrine that's in the scriptures. In fact, let me encourage it. I encourage it. I love to study God's word and see what it says about Oh, the little small things. Like this particular doctrine that we're talking about here, the perseverance of the saints. You know, there are denominations that don't believe that. They say, oh, yeah, you can get saved and then you can lose your salvation. I have no idea what they're doing with many of the verses that are in the Bible that say that we are saved according to the foreknowledge of God, predestined according to His eternal purposes. Let us argue about these things, but cling to every little doctrine. But as a foundation, you must have all knowledge of the things of salvation. Matter of fact, I'll give you an example. Somebody told me, and I don't remember the context. I don't remember what I was even preaching on. But I said something about the sinless Son of God who couldn't sin. Somebody said, no, wait a minute. They caught me after service, and they said, but Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And basically, the idea was, well, if the devil tempted him and he overcame sin for us, that, doesn't that mean that he could sin? And look, I'm acquainted with this argument. 
and I stand where I stand, I think that he was always going to have perfect victory. Even seminary professors struggle with some of these more difficult things. And uh, in fact, uh, I'll tell you that I had a professor just, a, we talked about this very thing just recently, and he wouldn't even answer the question. He said, it's not so much the question of could he sin as would he sin, but that changes, that changes the whole conversation. But you know what? It tickled me to death that somebody was thinking about that. It tickled me to death that people that are sitting in the pews were wrestling with the doctrines that we find in the Scriptures. You know, doctrines are knowledge. They are teaching. That's what the word literally means. And let me give you this teaching again. The true church has the Holy Spirit as their true teacher. And the, the church has all knowledge about salvation. Um, yes, there will be small or... I shouldn't say small. I, don't even, I have a hard time even saying less important doctrines. Let me say more difficult doctrines that perhaps we can even disagree on. But if you love the Lord, if you recognize Him for who He is, your Savior, your King, the one that bled and died for you and that rose on the third day and gives you the perfect promise of eternal life yourself, then you should want to know all that there is to know about Him. But you should have the knowledge of salvation. In fact, He says... I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and there is no lie of the truth. That means if I ask you how is a person saved, you should be able to answer that. They are saved by true belief and true repentance. He says, you, are, you have heard, you're expected to know. You know, I think the picture of this, the Pharisees were described as being blind. In fact, even in the Old Testament, Isaiah describes those of his day that were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. He says that they were like those that grope about in noonday like the blind. Do you know what that means? If the full radiance of the sun in all of its illuminating knowledge, the truth, is shined on them, they're so blind that they can't see it. It doesn't matter how much scripture you give the blind, they can't see it because they're blind. Nevertheless... The opposite of that is true as well. Somebody can have perfect sight, but if they don't have the truth, then they are lost. We must have both to understand. And this is the work of all knowledge as given by the apostles and by the Holy Spirit of whom you are anointed. Now this uh, idea that the saints will persevere to the end gives no one excuse to sit back idly and just let the world go ticking on. We have work to do that we have been commanded to do by our Master. We have uh, work to do as we read the Scriptures and we see these tests, these challenges to our Christian faith. But the real Christian will persevere. My Bible says that he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it to the end. In other words, Jesus has started something in you and he will bring it to completion. In 1 Peter 1.5 it says of the Christians who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Who by whose power? God's power. It doesn't say who by your power. The Christian casts their hopes, their dreams, everything that they are on the power of God. Being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me read you the way that one of uh, the old confessions puts it. And I took this from the Westminster, but... Virtually all historic Orthodox confessions would say something, something similar. It says, They whom God hath accepted in His beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, 
but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. That means if you're Christ, well, it's just like Jesus said. He said, all that the Father has given me are in my hand. And all that I have are in the Father's hand. And so the only way you can lose your salvation is if God fails. You will persevere until the end because you have the Holy Spirit and all truth of salvation. Now just as a word of conclusion here, let me remind you, it is the last hour. Would God grant us the grace to live like it's the last hour? To obey Him like it's the last day that we'll be able to? To love our neighbor one last day as we love ourselves and to love the Lord thy God with all that we are. And let me warn you, there are many deceiving spirits that teach damnable heresies, the doctrines of demons that lead many astray, but not the true church. The true church is kept by the power of God, as Peter says, and the true church will persevere. I don't know how somebody could trust in themselves for their salvation and have any sort of confidence in this life. I don't know how anybody could trust in anything other than the power of God and have any confidence in their salvation. But the scriptures are clear. There are many. And by the way, let me say something real scary and some of y'all get mad at me later, but I can't look at all these faces out here and I can't put my stamp of approval and say they are all saved. How can I know that? Now there's some of you that I know very well and you have the fruits of saved people, but let me say this. The true church cannot lose her salvation, and you need to know that. You need to trust in that. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, God, we want to come to you giving you thanks for your word. We pray, God, that you would use us as your church. Lord, that we would preach the gospel, that we would share the invitation that the Spirit and the bride say, come. But Lord, that it would be done in all truth and with an anointing of the Holy Spirit, that we would not compromise your words, that we would not add to them or take away from them, and that we would do so because we trust in you. Lord, there are, there are many people here that are dealing with many different things. And God, there are, well, there's much trouble. But we know that you say that in this world you shall have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. God, we know that your word says that we are overcomers if we persevere until the end. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on you, trusting in you and in you alone. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you all if you would to stand. And, you know, as I reflected on this message and how it fits in with the whole counsel of God, I cannot help but remember what this same author said in John chapter 3. You must be born again. This is the message that you must repent and you must believe the gospel or you are not saved. And if you are sitting in here today and you have trusted in anything other than that message for salvation, you have trusted in another gospel. You must repent. You must believe. Now this is an opportunity and I want to invite the church to do something. As we, as Miss Betty Sue plays and you bow for a word of prayer, I want, to invite, I want to invite you to analyze your own life. Do you pass the test that John gives in his gospel? And say, 
How can I live today like it's my last day that it would be acceptable before Christ and I would not be ashamed to die? Something we should reflect on every day. I promise we'd live different. And if you're sitting out here today and you have trusted in something else, I can't save you. But everybody has to take the first step. And I want to invite you to come up here and tell me so that I can show you what God's Word has to say about true salvation. Well, first of all, thank you for your attention. I've been seeing a thing on Facebook. A lot of local pastors have posted it about how many preachers quit every year in America. And they tell all the reasons why. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think the message, the, the overall thing is saying pray for your pastor and uh, be good to him. And I know that y'all pray for me and you're good to me. But a, a lot of the things on that list are things that pastors cannot do. It's burdens that pastors cannot carry. Um, I think every pastor wants good things for the families of his church. And I, I the same. I want you to have good marriages, peace in your home, raise your kids right, raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I want everybody to get saved, but I cannot save you. I cannot fix your marriage. I cannot grow your bank account. But there is one power. And this is, this is the one thing that the preacher is really truly called to do. And this is his job. It is to spread God's word. And let me just say something. This idea that you can just join a church and get saved, which is so common in America, it is a false idea. It comes by faith in no other way. And if you're sitting out there and you, you've been, I, I know what it was like when God was dealing with me. And I, I had a lump in my throat I could not swallow. And my heart would beat fast and I was uncomfortable in church my phone number's in the bulletin. I can't save you. Don't come to me and say, okay, preacher, I'm ready. Save me. But I can show you what the Bible says, and this is what I can tell you. If God is dealing with you, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And uh, I said everybody's got to take the first step. No, if God's dealing with you, he's taking that first step. You can't take that first step. But I want you if, you, if you need me this week, you can text me. You can call me. Again, I can't save you, but I can take you to the one that can. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Daniel Therrington. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the ability to gather together and worship you and study your word, dear Lord. We just ask that you remind us this week uh, to, to, to live our lives as if, as if it were the last hour, dear Lord. We, just, we thank you that we can have uh, assurance in our salvation through you. Dear 
thank you for all these things, dear Lord. Be with the people who need you most at this time. Have your will be done in their life, dear Lord. And, uh, be with us this week and have us be uh, uh, a shining city upon the hill for you, dear Lord. And we thank you for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.